Do you own firearms? Did you know there's an easy way for you to let everyone around you quickly see whether your firearm is loaded or unloaded? Well, meet muzzlestick, barrel, and chamber flags. Muzzlestick, chamber, and barrel flags offer a quick way for anyone, whether they handle firearms or not, to quickly see the loaded or unloaded status of a firearm. And that could save lives. Are you one of the nearly 80% of firearms owners that keep a loaded gun out of the safe for personal protection, taking an extra safety precaution by using muzzle sticks, big, bright barrel and chamber flags will let everyone around your firearm know if it is loaded or unloaded. Muzzle stick does not recommend keeping a loaded firearm outside of a gun safe, but the reality is that some firearm owners do. Clearly marking a gun status communicates to others around that may or may not have firearm handling experience that it is something that they would not want to handle. Muzzle stick is not intended to replace the rules of firearm safety. However, their chamber and barrel flags give firearms rapid and clear identification, which could result in saved lives. It's time for you to do everything you can to be a safe and responsible firearms owners. Head over to muzzlestick.com. That's M-U-Z-L-S-T-I-K.com today to place your order. After all, we all only have but one life. Hello, ladies, and hello, gentlemen. I, I'm sorry I used the word ladies. I'll tell you about that another time. <laughs> this is Jack Fowler, and I'm the host of the Victor Davis Hanson Show. Victor Davis Hanson is the Martin and Ely Anderson Senior Fellow at the Hoover Institution and the Wayne and Marsha Buskey Distinguished Fellow in History at Hillsdale College. Victor, there is so much happening politically and with uh, civilization on the brink, so it seems. And we're going to get to some of that. We'll start off by... Uh, having you elaborate on a column, very important column you've written about this, uh, the French Revolution is here. And we'll get to that, your thoughts on the Democratic Party and much more right after these important messages. There's something magical about unboxing. When you unbox BritBox, you uncover a world of British entertainment. Stream the UK's most brilliant series, including new and upcoming seasons of Shetland, Father Brown and Death in Paradise. Plus new originals like Payback, Irvin Welsh's Crime and Archie, the story of Hollywood's greatest leading man, Cary Grant. Unbox BritBox and escape to the best of British TV. Stream with a free trial at BritBox.com. We're back with the Victor Davis Hanson Show. Victor, I have to apologize to you and to our listeners. During the course of the show, I'm babysitting some dogs, and we might hear a little whining, a little woofing in the background. But uh, as we all know, dog is God spelled backwards. So I think that's uh, it's all tolerable. So, Victor, you've written this, uh, I think, really important uh, column, Our French Revolution, and it it uh, links with something you said the other night on uh, Fox. You were on Tucker's show commenting on the, um, I think it was Tuesday night. It was after uh, Donald Trump gave his 
speech at Mar-a-Lago and there was a little time left and you were on and you said something to the effect of there is no more Democratic Party. And in this column, you you write the Democratic Party ended in 2020. Victor, would you tell us about the well, yeah, know, I, destruction I, you know, of the party, I, the disappearance of it? Yeah, I don't just say things. I try to quantify them if I can. So when I made a statement like that and I said something similar in The Dying Citizen, I went back Jack, and I looked at the 92 Democratic Convention and the 96, and I I was astounded. Hillary Clinton and Bill Clinton and Nancy Pelosi gave ringing denunciations of illegal immigration. They said it was illegal. It hurt the constituencies of the Democratic Party that were union lunch bucket voters. And it it was clear. They, Bill Clinton, bragged and bragged and bragged about he was in support of the military. He said in 92 that, remember that, 100,000 police officers on the street? He said the best thing that would be possible for the inner city would be school uniforms and more discipline. And I mean, you can say it's insincere, but they made the effort to be insincere is what I'm saying. And it, maybe they didn't turn out like that. Sister but, soldier also, yes. right? And he supported Sister Soldier, when he called her down, and if he did that today, they'd arrest him for racism, I guess. And he also, they were for more energy development. And um, this, so whatever this is, and we've talked about it at length, whether it was the long-term erosion of the Democratic Party or liberalism into progressivism, into wokeism, into Marxism, into communism, whether that was because of the bicoastal elite or the huge amount of cash that was in the hands of the very wealthy left or the bicoastal elite uh, really warped globalization and forgot the... I don't know, but the more immediate triggers were George Floyd, 120 days of exempt rioting, larceny, looting, murder, and the COVID lockdown that created all sorts of problems. And then, of course... Uh, the phenomenon of Donald Trump, where they went completely hysterical. But we are in a bad situation right now. We are fiddling on these issues that we're going to talk about today, transgenderism or the Trump trials. And while we're fiddling, this administration has allowed Sunni and Shia Muslims to unite. And you just saw today where Mr. Erdogan in Turkey said it's time for Muslims to unite against Israel. And we have Iran working with Russia on drones and Russia with a wink and a nod, allowing Iran to step up its terrorist, its surrogate terrorist attacks on Israel with veiled warnings of Israel about retaliation. And then we've got the bomb looming and we're going to see a bomb on the, I think during the Biden administration. And when you get China and Russia and Turkey and maybe India, Japan says it can no longer honor the sanctions. They have done the the impossible. In two years, they have destroyed through Afghanistan, through that Anchorage summit with the Chinese, through the tolerance of that spy balloon, through terming the Ukrainian possible invasion as a minor incursion, through the, the beseeching of Vladimir Putin not to hack hospitals, but by implication, the rest of it at all. And then we have these economic 
I don't know what the left would call them, bombshells. I mean, banks failing and high interest rates and high inflation, and no one knows how to stop it. So we're fiddling with all all of these things are going on, and we're talking about what? Transgenderism. We're talking about, we'll talk about it. The Louisiana state athlete wants to go to Barack's house rather than the Biden house. And meanwhile, the entire downtowns of America have been nuked. So it's really frustrating to see, and I, I keep bringing in this Constantinople metaphor because I'm writing this chapter and I'm reading contemporary accounts in Italian and Byzantine Greek, um, and it's just it's just so scary. I mean, the people are on the walls fighting these Ottomans who completely lie to them and say, we didn't want to take Constantinople, we'll let you live, let's have a deal, and then Mehmet you know, invade, attacks the walls. And then what are they doing inside the walls? They're arguing over biblical exegesis with the Venetians and the Genovese. And they're trying to unite Christendom under one for the whole months leading up. To, and they and they can't do it. They're fighting over the Holy Ghost or the divinity of Jesus. And it's just sad. And it's very similar of a, of a civilization that just implodes like the Byzantines did after 1100 years. Something, this is really scary, what's going on in this country. And we'll talk right. about the details today. Well, here's a, here's a detail, Victor, and I didn't tell you about this ahead of time, but you probably know this. This is a piece from uh, City Journal by Soledad Ursua. This is yes from yesterday. Prescription for mayhem. Los Angeles officials propose ticketing rather than arresting violent criminals. So uh, it begins with this. On the night of April 4th, three suspects connected to a carjacking and shooting crashed a car in my neighborhood of Venice Beach, taking off on foot for hours. Sirens wailed. Choppers flew overhead. Police warned residents to stay indoor, give, indoors, given that the suspects were at large and likely armed. According to progressive ideology, these long and difficult manhunts could be avoided altogether if Los Angeles County would move to a site and release policy. So, Victor, you just said the cities are turning to hell holes, and now carjackers, murderers, instead of being arrested and brought to court, are supposed to be given a ticket and asked to show up in court. If this isn't... Yeah, I mean, it's already happened. I mean, we've talked about San Francisco, Jack, and I've got to go there. I've got to go to a meeting um, Monday morning, just... And I'm not looking forward to driving up there and downtown. But my point is these cities, Baltimore, Minneapolis, Seattle, Portland, Los Angeles, San Francisco, Washington, New York, they're turning it over to the uncivilized and the people who are civilized are leaving. There's a good map of California came out today. I think Stephen Hayward had it in Powerline, and it shows you. Not just the 500,000 people that have left California in 18 months, but the ones that want to keep in California for family, where they go, they all are leaving the coast and they're going into the foothills, mostly around Sacramento, but somewhere where we live as well. And then down toward the Palm Springs deserts, it's just like the late Roman Empire. People are leaving the cities because they're not safe and they're trying to find, I guess, like fortified places out in the middle of nowhere where they stock up and they're ready for Armageddon or the apocalypse. But it's it's stunning how these people have destroyed these cities very quickly. And it's not 
far right people, Jack, that are leaving. These are utopian liberals that voted for all of this stuff. They vote for Gavin Newsom again and again and again. And, you know, not to get off topic, but we're we're going to talk about the Tennessee legislature in a minute. But where they three of their own legislators stormed uh, in January 6th, if I could be so um, graphic fashion. But they were they were protesting against firearms. And yet you just pick up the paper today, Jack, just random stories. There was an Asian woman in a hotel room in Washington. And a person went down the hallway, found an open door, went in and killed her with a knife. Paul Pelosi was severely beaten with a hammer. There was one of the the cash app guy stabbed to death. And the cash app guy, he was stabbed to death. And yesterday, I just I just saw a story. The 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 fire commissioner. Yes, the former fire commissioner was hit with a spiked rod by a homeless person. A lot of them, and then he was stabbed. And then let's not forget Ron Paul's aide that was almost killed in Washington. He was stabbed. And so, why they're talking about automatic handguns, which are the really the citizens' only defense against this, and AR-15s especially. There's the most high profile uh, violence in the last week has all been by, I don't know what you would call it, knives or metal bars or something. The other thing is, and this is going to be very controversial, is that I was just listening on a couple of YouTubes. And when you mentioned the Venice, I saw that and I saw what people had been saying in Washington, D.C. as well. And it's all predicated on race. They keep saying that people of color are unduly uh, singled out. That's Isn't that the driving force behind this, the subtext, that they want to decriminalize yes. because they feel that the majority of the offenders are black or maybe yeah. Hispanic? But what gets me about it is they don't want to talk about uh, interracial, which is only seven or eight. But in the case of... We don't know who hit the tech executive, but it's very mysterious that nobody's talking about the offender. I mean, they're talking about all these graphic videos of him crying for out for help, but there's no inference. But my point is, Rand Paul was stabbed by an African-American guy. Very rare that it happened. There were three young girls. Did you see that in Florida? And they tried to dabble with some black gang members and they were all executed. They were 15, 16, and 17. Nobody said a word. A word. Right. And I'm not, I'm going to, what I'm getting to is I'll, I'll say in a minute. Right. And then we had this Asian woman who was stabbed to death by a black guy. So those are three right there. And we don't know who hit all of the people hit the fire commissioner. I think the main perpetrator was probably a homeless white guy. We don't know who hit the tech. But my point is, in this climate, every single one of those, had that been a black aide to Hakeem Jeffries and a white MAGA person hit him, there would have been an outrage. If those three girls had been hanging out with the Proud Boys and they had executed three black girls, there would have been outrage. If you had seen uh, Rand Paul, as I said, or if you, there had been 
a black girl in a hotel and a white person drifted in. And these people all had records, by the way. They were let out. And that person executed that, uh, stabbed this uh, black. That would have been outrage. So what I'm getting at is at some point, the left has to say, look, our cities are becoming wastelands. Part of it is Zoom. Part of it was a COVID. But a lot of it is homelessness and crime. And right now, 55% of violent crime is committed by about 4% of the population, black males between the ages of 12 and 20. And we don't talk about this. And I, it's a legitimate discussion to say this is because, Victor, you don't understand it's one-parent homes that were ruined. If you're on the right, you say it's one-parent homes where there was no father because the welfare system destroyed what had been a pretty stable black family phenomenon in the 50s and early 60s. Okay. Or if you're on the left, you say it's the legacy of racism and neglect and Jim Crow. Okay. But my point is, it's there. Whatever the exegesis about the causes, it's there. And you're never going to lower the crime rate unless you address it. And it starts to go down when you and we have right now full black employment. It's the same. It's even almost the same or better than during the Trump administration. So there's a shortage of jobs. It's not that people are discriminating by color or race for people who want to have a job. But there's something that I don't understand. And that is why the left does not address this. So when you had the two legislators in Tennessee who were expelled from the legislature, there were three, two were black, one was white, for disrupting it and grabbing and pretty much hijacking it. They pretty much did to this Tennessee legislature what the dean did in right. Stanford. Same thing at the law school. And they were expelled. The black caucus got cra went crazy. Joe Biden... He's inviting them to the White House. Kamala Harris went straight there to demagogue it because but nobody says a word when a, a senatorial aide is almost stabbed to death or a woman is executed in Washington, D.C. in a motel room or a tech executive is stabbed to death and murdered or three girls are systematically executed in Florida and. I, I don't understand. Why doesn't somebody say this is maybe we should ban knives or bars or cannot we have a discussion how to lower the crime rate as far as both hate crimes where African-Americans are double the numbers in the general population. And that's directed, by the way, mostly, mostly not at white people, but at but at Asian-Americans and then ethnically or religiously at Jews. Nobody mm -hmm. says a word and no one says anything about being overrepresented by a magnitude of four to six, depending on the violent crime. No one says a word. And yet that topic is the subtext for mass flight from the inner city that nobody wants. Nobody talks about the black on black genocide in Chicago or Baltimore right. or Memphis. But the, the thing is, that single issue explains a vast demographic flight. And you can call it, well, white people are racist. Or, I don't know. I don't care what the reason is. I'm just telling you that it's a cause and effect. And the left has no credibility 
when their answer to any violence is not to look at the number of people who have been stabbed to death in just this week, nor do they talk about the racial element and the overrepresentation of crime. And Jack, all they do is count data. All they do is that this is disproportionate. We have to have proportional representation. This group is disproportionately represented. We have to have the government address. So that's their ballywig. That's what they care about. And yet they will not talk about this. And well, yet if you really want to stop crime, you would go at you would go after that problem. But do you that presumes the, the possibility that, you know, at some level they may want to reduce crime when I just think more and more the objective is is pure chaos. And you well, get I think chaos what they want to do is, when you don't reduce crime, when you allow crime to flourish. I think what they're doing is Every because what was the Texas legislature? I mean, the Tennessee legislature about they stormed it over gun control. But it was very ironic because the six people that were killed were killed by a transgender person whose manifesto hasn't been published yet, still suppressed. And we just had one in Colorado where a transgender person was planning to murder a lot. And we suppressed that. And then we suppressed the story, Jack, that came out finally that the potential assassin of Justice Kavanaugh, who showed up armed, remember him? Right. He was, he was transgender. Just right. Out. So going by the name of Sophie. Yes. And we had the takeover, a mini takeover of the Texas legislature where a transgender person tried to fight with the sergeant of arms to let another person speak. And so what I'm getting at is that we what I'm getting at is that we are told that there is a need for gun control in because of these six people. But if you look at what the left's narrative are, it's almost as if they deserved it because they were conservatives and Tennessee was trying to suppress transgenderism. So the answer then is gun control, gun control, gun control, gun control. As the crime spirals out of control. The calls for gun control spiral out of control. And we know that in Chicago, it's one of the, and San Francisco, it's one of the, the strictest, the strictest places in the world to have a gun. And we know that each time these shootings occur, the person who shoots, A, has a record and to the degree he's caught has a gun that he, he stole or he bought or it's a ghost gun or something. So it's, it's not a matter of the law. It's a matter of enforcing it. But ultimately, right. you ask, why this obsession with destroying the Second Amendment? And here you, you got to go to the conspiracy people who were written off as conspiracy freaks, but they're not. What they are saying is the purpose, what the left wants to do is to have all of the weapons under its control. And then politically, it can choose and pick and pick and choose which particular crimes it's going to use its monopoly to enforce. And which it's not. And so if there's a lot of inner city crime and there's a lot of people being shot and the left has barred people from having weapons, then the left says, well, we can enforce this or we can't enforce it. But for us to enforce it, you, there are certain things that we expect of the electorate. And that's what is so scary about all this. Victor, you you have called these uh folks of the left, Jacobins and revolutionaries, um, sometimes Marxists. And I think Marxists is the 
I think Stalinist is probably the right term may sound far fetched in a conversation, but there's so much that that Stalin did that tracks what's happening here, tracks what Mao did, and the destruction of of cities and the deaths of people are meaningless to these sons of bitches. It just it just is the chaos. Again, I'm repeating myself. Care. Chaos chaos matters, and we've talked before about many times about BLM, the organization, kind of as a in part as a shakedown operation, but that truly is a Marxist and they, organization. They merged with the Marxists to say uh, race is the edge of the wedge for the chaos that we, we want. To- it was also one of the most corrupt shakedowns we've seen in 50 years of corporations. Yeah. Even the Silicon Valley Bank was giving them money. They never accounted for it. If it had been any other group, there would have been a federal racketeering charge and they would have uh, subpoenaed their books. That's what's also scary. There's such an asymmetry toward the application of the law. Yeah. And you can imagine when Joe Biden, the reason he pushed through these 88,000 IRS agents, you know who they're going to go after. They're going to go after the small entrepreneur, small business person. They're not going to go after the Salma swap meet where you look down the, the state franchise board has given them a you know a pass. They're not going to go out on any intersection where I live, Jack. And yesterday I drove into town and you can see everything for sale, Easter flowers, Easter food, everything, all everywhere. And there's no sales tax collected. And so my point is that all of these new measures are designed for a political purpose. And I don't think the Democratic Party quite did that. They always wanted to, but they never quite did that. And now... It's a process. It's not just a political agenda. They want to change the process by which we conduct politics and elections. And they're they're doing a great job. They don't care, as you said, about violence. They scan the, the news. And so they look at the news and they pick up the newspaper or the text on their screen and they say, hmm, Rand Paul's assistant was almost stabbed to death by a career black felon. Hmm, no use for that. Let's just skip it. Hmm. Three girls who thought they were going to flirt with gang members or involve themselves were executed by three black teens. Nope, nothing in that. Hmm. Let me go to the next. Asian-American girl, another victim of a hate crime, perhaps stabbed to death in her hotel room by a black itinerant with a long felony record. Nope, no use for that. Tech mogul, stabbed to death out in the middle of the street, begging for somebody to help him save his life. Oh, we don't want to talk about that. And fire commissioner. Ah, wow. I guess he was trying to help his mother get drug users out of her garden or something. But he was almost clubbed to death. No use for that. That's how they look at it. But yes. any other thing? Oh, three people stormed the Tennessee legislature and they voted, but they only voted to get rid of the people who took the podium with a bullhorn. Those were two African-American legislature. They didn't go after the white woman. They're racist. We have to get them in the White House and we've got to get Kamala Harris down there to demagogue this issue. And And then you think, why would she go down there? There's two reasons why she shouldn't go down there, Jack, because during the May 2020, June 2020, August, September, she said, this is not going to stop that violence. Remember that? She while, said, while her aides were, were 
funding bail. Yes. She paid bail for felons that were writing and committing arson. And she said right before she was nominated, this shouldn't stop. It's not going to stop. It shouldn't going to stop. She said that on national TV. And then after January 6th, she said this was an, an insurrection. This was an insurrection. It was an, it was an attempt to take over a legislative session. And there were not people in session during there. There were people had prior, I suppose, that were ready to, but they didn't storm in while people were voting. People left their offices. This thing was in session. And it was an, it was a insurrection. According to, I don't think it was an insurrection, but according to their own definitions, she should keep quiet about this. Either, either keep quiet about it or condemn it. Yet she goes down there to demagogue it. Right. It's really scary because. Excuse me, Victor, can you can you imagine with her as vice president sitting in the chair as the president of the Senate, which is one of her roles and somebody some debate going on and Ted Cruz just starting to yell about or or pick pick a pick a conservative Republican protesting, maybe even with a bullhorn. Can you imagine Kamala Harris allowing that protest to happen no, in that no. legend. But what she's doing is she's trying because she's an incompetent nincompoop and she's failed on her foreign policy portfolio. She's failed at the border. She's trying to become high profile as an activist for the base. So she's taking these issues and she's trying to be a high profile, in this case, racial demagogue. And uh, Joe Biden doesn't know where he is. So somebody says, you know, we should we got in trouble because Jill opened her mouth and offered the mostly white Iowa team an invitation, as well as the victorious LSU, mostly black team. That didn't look good. The black girls got mad at the white girls. They both got mad at us. So let's redeem ourselves by having the, the two black legislatures go to D.C. That's what the idea was. And, you know, what's really funny is that you're starting to see now, Jack, the very beginning of a Republican change of strategy. You saw it with Kevin McCarthy when he took over the speakership Mm -hmm. and he started getting rid of people like Adam Schiff and Swalwell off committees in retaliation for what they did on January 6th committee. And then we're seeing this Texas legislature. They haven't done this, I don't think, in the since the early 20th century or maybe 19th century, actually following the law and expelling people. And the left is howling, howling. Right. And they will keep howling until there is some symmetry is reachieved. And the only way you're going to apparently achieve symmetry is that you're going to have to remind them that what they're doing is always going to earn a counter response. And when you get a counter response and they don't like it, then and only then will they cease. And the, whole, the question that I have is, can that tit for tat or tat for tit, can that be contained within the norms of political processes? I'm not sure. It's getting pretty yeah. scary. Yeah, I don't I don't know. I think we're in a we are now in a different <laughs> crossed into some different era in America. I think it started with Barack Obama. It did. Because we'd never seen a president go in there. And during that campaign, when he said, I want you all to get in their faces. And then when he said, I want you to take it, he took that David Mamet line from The Untouchables. I want you to 
I think it was outside Philadelphia. He said, we bring a gun to a knife fight. He said that. And then Michelle said, I've never been pr proud of my country until then. This is a damn, what you say, a downright mean country. And then she said, they always raise the bar on people like us. That whole rhetoric fed in and then the fundamentally transforming the country. And then we had Eric Holder, who basically fired all of the career prosecutors and put in activists and then just told the Congress, I'm not going to tell you anything about Fast and Furious. Me may or may not have kind of planted the guns and started it and it went haywire, but I'm not going to talk about it. You can subpoena me, hold me in contempt. I don't care. I'm not. He could have said, I'm not going to be like Steve Bannon. You're not going to arrest me. And that's what he did. And that administration started the whole thing off. It really destroyed racial relations. It destroyed norms. And then it got people very angry. And Donald Trump came in and he said, you know what? The Romney-McCain response doesn't work to these people. And that's where we are now. Yeah, maybe. I, I wonder how conscious it was, Victor, to to uh, play the race card at that time, because as, as we have discussed before, you know, the the uh, healing of America's racial wounds uh, uh, continued apace. Just looking at intermarriage as a as a sign of the lessening of tensions, and no one could say in in two thousand eight when Obama was elected that things were worse racially than they no, were. No, they were getting better. Right. You're absolutely right. There was more assimilation. There was more integration. All of the key categories of economic achievement were going up. Obama did hurt the black cause because his response to the 2008 measures uh, was anemic and we got into a recession that was prolonged that we didn't need to do. I, I know shovel-ready jobs under Joe Biden wasn't a good idea, but Obama's fed this. Remember, he said Trevon Martin was look, looks like the son I never had. Mm -hmm. And as I said, that would be like Bill Clinton talking in the middle of the OJ case and saying she looks just like the daughter, a right. second daughter I never had. Nobody would do that. And then he went into the Skip Gates thing and said that the police were stereotype. And then he went after his grandmother and said that when she heard that a black person walk by, she clicked the door closed. And it was just constant. But it was all done with a mellifluous delivery. And he was the darling of the utopian left because he had the same values as the Martha's Vineyard Malibu crowd. Basically, he was in that presidency for one reason, to become a celebrity and to cash in big. And he said that on two occasions, subtly said, you know what? My, they asked, what's your biggest fault? I'm lazy, he said. And then once he said, I'm not just going to be president just to make a bunch of money and retire rich, which was a Freudian slip. That's right. exactly what he wanted exactly. to do. Projection, right. Yeah. He's, ever, he's where he is. He's where he's always wanted to be. Yeah. It's so funny because they're after Clarence Thomas now because he went with Harlan Crow on some vacations. Okay. If there was a violation, then he should be chastised, but they're going after him. They want to destroy him. And this is, you remember from 2009 Onward, Barack Obama could not spend a summer without going to Martha's Vineyard and hanging out with all those wealthy people. That's yeah. all he did. 
That's yeah. all he did. And he was always either getting a free place or getting a subsidized rent from these people for the summer. That's all he hung out with was wealthy people. And nobody said a word. It was just, it's crazy. And I think, you know, I don't know. The left is really trying the patience of people when they continue to do this. And and I, I don't know where, where it's going to happen, but it's starting to affect the fabric of civilization. These are not esoteric political back and forth or arguments or contentions. These are these are real issues. Do you go into downtown Baltimore? Can you go into San Francisco for the evening for dinner downtown? Can you drive on a California freeway? Uh, is it safe to do so? We are having a flood level snow melt. We are going to lose 200,000 acres of the most rich, fertile farmland because someone somewhere who we know, i.e. Jerry Brown and Gavin Newsom, refused to use a lot of money to create reservoirs to store this stuff because they claim we would never need it because we were in a perennial drought. And so what I'm getting at is this ideology is starting to affect the way we live. It's not safe, the infrastructure. And we have, we've gone through this so many times, Jack, with rail car derailings and near misses with the airlines and in and law schools. I don't think Stanford Law School exists anymore. I really don't. From, I, Hans Van Spotsky had an article about their curriculum, and they're not teaching enough of the courses that would make a person a capable lawyer in the real world, contract law. Right. or bond law or tax law. And to the degree they're called tax law, they're sort of bankman-free type of polit politicized weaponized, you know, about how the right. poor are being ripped off. But they're not they're not giving the essentials necessary to have a cadre of legal experts in the country. And so we could go on there for the military and everything. It's so weird how we all thought this country was so resilient and it's winding apart, winding down so quickly. Yeah, Bismarck was wrong. God protects fools, drunks in the United States of America. And uh, maybe the last part of that doesn't seem to be well, we'll see. hanging in there. Yeah. We'll, see. well, Victor, we, we've got a few more things to talk about. And uh, let's pick up on, on what you already mentioned about Jill Biden and women's basketball. And we'll get to that right after these important messages. Back with the Victor Davis Hanson show. I think it's uh, we it's fair to Victor for us to wish our hope our Christian friends have had a wonderful Easter and our brothers and sisters in Abraham have had a wonderful Passover. I know our Orthodox uh, um, kin they they celebrate Easter uh, next week. Uh, Victor's official home on the internet is the Blade of Perseus, and the web address there is victorhanson.com and you should visit often and you should also uh, subscribe because Victor writes many articles that are exclusive to that website. The one uh, that I am uh, just started reading today uh, was part one of a series, The Unpredictable, Unforeseen, and Simply Strange. But I, I, I would calculate Victor writes the equivalent of two books a year for his website, exclusive Ultra Articles, subscribe, $5 a 
for a month or your initial foray, check it out. And it's $50 uh, discounted for the full year. Uh, so, uh, Victor, um, about basketball. Now, I live in Connecticut, and Connecticut has always been, of all the states in the union, we're probably the one that cares most about women's basketball or the, the Lady Huskies at the University of Connecticut year after year won. Not this year. They didn't even make it to the final four this year. But the um, And women's basketball is probably the most premier sport of women women's college sports, right? Okay which have now been invaded by men in swimming, not basketball yet, but I don't doubt that in a year or two, we're going to see uh, men playing playing for uh, colleges. So the the uh, championship was between uh, Louisiana State University and Iowa and uh, LSU won. There was some tension, some trash talking on the court in the final games, a couple of games that people saw through a racial uh, lens. My wife who played basketball thinks it's just trash talking, but like many things in America got quickly racialized. Jill Biden injects herself into the situation uh, by uh, uh, trying to um, amend tradition. The tradition is the winner of the, these tournaments tend to visit the White House. Well, she wanted to invite the the runner up, Iowa, who which was the, let's put it in the, the racial context, that's the white team and LSU is the black team. And LSU uh, took this poorly and also came out that uh, Jill Biden had wanted to uh, visit the uh, locker rooms of both teams before the final game. And she was denied, at least by LSU. I don't know if she went to Iowa uh, because Joe Biden had picked picked LSU to perform poorly in the tournament on some bracket, whatever. So there's this there is this tension in the air uh, back and forth. LSU is is going to go. Iowa said, no, you know what? We're going to stick with tradition. Only the winner goes. So they, they there was some degree of sportsmanship, but it was kind of overwhelmed by a lot of racial tension. Yeah, I mean, I, I always think when you go down that path of racial chauvinism. So what would happen? Imagine, Jack, that Barack and Michelle are president and first lady. This is the 2012 finals. And Iowa beats LSU. Michelle is watching the game and says, you know what? I think that this was really amazing effort on both sides. And although maybe we usually have the winners, let's have both. They'll both come. And then the star player on the white Iowa side says, you know what? Uh, it's a joke. We're not going to go to the white. We're not going to go to Barack Obama's White House. No way. We're going to go. We're going to go to Donald Trump's Trump, Trump Tower. He's probably going to be president in four years. Or we're going to go to who? We're going to go to Mitt Romney's house because there wasn't a Democratic president at the time. I mean, a Republican president. What would happen if they did that? People would get. They would just say you're. You're a racist. You can't just turn down the Obamas because they're black. And they would say, well, no, we're turning them down because we won. And they're bringing in the LSU team. Oh, you don't like the LSU team because they're black. No, I because because we're the winners. Yeah, but you said that you wouldn't go if because they played hard. Michelle thought they should play. Do you have an objection to that? Oh, no. But then why are you just saying you want to go to a, a white 
uh, something equivalent called the White White House. You see what I mean? That wouldn't that would have been an outrage. The reason I'm saying this is not to incite racial division, but to heal it. And what I'm trying to say is that in the year 2023, there is a lot of parody. And you can see it in every, the minute from entertainment to sports to commercials to per capita income to black women's salaries. We're getting to the point where you're getting close to parody. And yet, the divisiveness is increasing geometrically the closer we get to parity. And it's becoming racialized to a degree I have never seen. And the only thing that I can think of is in each one of these cases, people have to imagine what would be the response otherwise. And if the response would not be the same, but it would be different, then you've got a problem. And I think that's the problem right now that the the leadership of the black community feels that after George Floyd, it has prerogatives that are not to be accorded to the Latino population, the Asian population, the white population, along with the transgendered community, those two groups. I don't think they're compatible, if, according to polls, but that has a shelf life that's finite. Because nobody in the United States gets a pass. And when you get get a pass and you don't apply standards, whether it's the Soros-funded DAs allowing people disproportionately of color to commit crimes and be exempt on the idea that they're victims of a racialized justice system, or when you look at admissions, that are becoming compensatory admissions at our elite schools where people of particular races are admitted without SAT scores, but at greater percentage percentages than their demographics, then you're going to have greater, not lesser tensions. Because And the other thing I don't understand is the word white prior to 2000. 18, or maybe it was not a pejorative, it was a neutral. You could say, no, he's a, guy, a white guy, or the white community voted, or you'd be an NBC commentator, and you'd say, well, this group is mostly suburban white women, so they're going to vote this way. It's not any, it's an exclusively pejorative term. And you turn on, it's white supremacy, white rage, white privilege, white, white, white. It's And then you're supposed to, you know, what I don't understand is you're, you're talking about 260 million people and you're putting together Greek Americans and Arab Americans and Italian Americans and Finnish Americans and Portuguese Americans with all different types of ethnic. I don't know. White, Hisp white Hispanics. Yes. And you're putting them all together as a uh, culpable group in the worst stereotyping that the left is so sensitive about. And, it, and then you're going to say, well, Victor, you're just worrying about a bunch of privilege. No, I'm talking about millions of them that are living below the poverty line in places like East Palestine. And I do believe that if there had been a natural disaster uh, with a supposedly greedy rail company who took shortcuts, I'm not sure they did. I'm just saying that. But it did to East Palestine, to a black community. I'm sure that Joe Biden would be had been down there in a second. And the, the thing was, is 
when you saw Pete Budgett, he had contempt. It was the same kind of contempt that appeared in the Lisa Page, Peter Strzok textual exchange about right. smelly people or that CNN person that went to a Trump rally and said, I am I have more teeth than everybody in this rally. It, it's the same thing. And it's I, I don't understand what's going on in the country, but it's become open game or fair to attack uh, a group based on their race, on the supposition they're privileged and they're culpable, but they're not monolithic. They're not they're not the same. But it also th- they're not this- they're not a white group is what I'm trying to say. Right. It, but as a political tool and a tool for for revolution, uh, the last thing a a nice guy, a family, suburban white family wants to be called as racist. And anything but that. Please don't call me. And I'm not racist, but please, I'll do anything. Don't call me that. It's a pressure point. That's that's just but the word racism doesn't mean anything anymore. Everybody knows it doesn't mean anything. It because it if you're walking down the street and a guy come drives by with a boom coming out of his stereo and you hear the N word twenty five times which happened to me about three weeks ago in my hometown. I was walking to the post office, a low rider guy turned uh, parked and he had this N word, N word, N word booming out of the, you know what I mean? Out of the radio or tape. I thought, wow, that's a hate crime. No, it's not apparently. So it's so weird about what is permissible and what isn't. And Right. I I haven't heard in my life, uh, maybe since 1970s, a so-called white person say the N-word. I grew up in a Mexican-American community, and I heard it a lot, but coming from Mexican-American people. And I haven't heard it recently at all. I haven't by, in private conversations. In other words, when I'm with white people, so-called, they don't say, hey, <laughs> nobody around, I'm going to use the N-word. They don't use it. And yet... That is the taboo word, as it should be, but it's almost exclusively used by the African-American male community. And we're told that even to say what I just did is racist, that you don't understand that. But there's not they're not going to have a credibility about abolishing that word when the rules and protocols of its usage are so arcane that nobody can understand them. Yeah. The legitimacy of of who utters it. Making it legitimate strikes me as, uh, as a, someone who's half Italian. <laughs> the other half was Irish. You know, I don't go around and say, "Well, I'm half Italian. I can call that guy a Guinea Dago." Yeah. Well, yeah. you know, it's just it's it's not applicable. No, except in I this mean, one case, I I think the whole thing is not going to end until there's deterrence and symmetry, and that always brings back a natural equilibrium. We're not going to have the Republican, Democrat, left, right, near civil war cease until the left understands that there's consequences and the people on the right are going to have the same attitude as they are about civility or about repercussions. And if if you don't have that, it's not. That was why the Tennessee legislature, what they did was very salutary. They said, we have a rule. You don't disrupt. You don't go to the podium. You don't take a megaphone. And you did that. So you're going to go out, you're gone, and you're perfectly willing to run for office again, and you will probably be folk heroes. But right. that's the rule. 
Yeah, yeah. you can you cannot operate a, a legislative body without rules. No. Robert's rules of order. Uh, otherwise, it is chaos. Uh, and the same thing as I think this whole thing about the sixteen nineteen project and statues. I have no problem taking down Jefferson Davis's statue. That's what fine, but but you have to apply the same standards across the board. And I, what I think is it's not going to stop until somebody says somebody, meaning people who are disparaged and say, look, this country is unique. It's not perfect as we all know, but if it was so bad, why are 7 million people trying to break in in the last two years? Why does it get more legal and illegal would be immigrants in all the other countries in the world combined. Why did this small country of 330 million compared to 1.4 billion in India or China? Why does it have the biggest GDP? Who created the system? And so this system gave a lot of good for a lot of people. Right. And for you to go back and racialize it and find it culpable because as an elite, you find out your life is not going quite like you want and you want to blame the past. It doesn't matter. We're not going to listen to you. It has zero effect. We're not going to change any more names. We're not going right. to change, tear down anything else. We're not going to throw paint on any more monuments. We're going to prosecute the laws. We don't care about the racial demographics of who create. If it's all white people are doing, if there's a white group that does smash and grab or carjacking or the knockout game and they think that's neat there and we sentence them to the maximum i have no problem if Folsom is 100 percent white if they're all violent felons until you get to that point you're not going to have this country working and I, I think that's the only thing people can just collectively just shrug and say you know what i don't care when i read these these letters at Stanford from the president, and I read the letters from the law dean, and I read the letters from the diversity equity. It's just, it's just, it's people who are very bright and very well educated and very wealthy using all of their imagination and training to not do one thing. We had a rule that says, Stanford stands by free speech and it's against Stanford's own codes to disrupt and drive out a lecture. These people from our video, that person, that person, that person screamed and yelled and used pornography in the sense of, I don't mean pornography, but what they said was pretty awful. Not just, I wish your daughters were great, but you can't find the CLI, you can't find the CLIT or something. And they're going to be expelled. That would be very easy to do. And the, and the question is, there's either two reasons, Jack, they didn't do it. And this is a metaphor for this whole country. One, they were afraid of the ramifications. They didn't want to be swarmed because if they were swarmed and attacked, they had no confidence in the board of trustees to back them up and they'd be fired. Or B, they agreed with it. And they thought, you know what? They got a little out of hand, but I can slap them on the wrist and then I'm a folk hero. And that's either one. It, it's not it's going to only perpetuate it. And people it's, it's getting really you, you. I think these people should understand you go out and talk to different people from all walks of life, all races, all genders. 
people are really worried right now. I and agree, angry, Victor. And they're angry. Yes. And it's really scary. And this is this when is... the economy is still in a fake bubble. Right. High employment. But it's starting to, you know. Yeah, Jamie Dimon just said something, you know, the yeah. very drastic outlook for the recession. I think we're in a recession, but the recession that's coming. Yeah, the, most people I talk to uh, and who get into what the hell's going on really do think that we are in a different time and, and uh, approaching some abyss. Some I think revolution. we are. I think that uh, there's so many centrifugal forces. There's the whole China problem as we start to decouple from China, which we had to do, but it's going to be very painful. We're going to have a lot of supply shortages. We're going to have a lot of inflationary pressures. We have the artificial intelligence. It's increasing geometrically. And I think part of it was the shortage of labor, but it's going to start to replace jobs in a fantastic rate. We have the entire, we're in a big revolution right now from people not going to universities. We're going to see some major uh, implosions financially if we start to restrict Chinese students or people decide as they are, especially males, they'd rather go to trade school and not deal with this. There's a big problem right now. How do you get a male to go to an Ivy League school when they're 55% women as it is and they understand that they're going to be called all sorts of names and they're culpable when they set foot on You can't. Right. So that's going to happen. And, all, and then we've got this high interest rate on real estate. We've got inflation that hasn't gone down much. It's 6.5%. And I, I think we're going to be in, a, in a, big, a big jam, especially when Joe Biden restricts energy and right. he, he adds more regulations and he's going to increase the bureaucracy and he's politicized things. And this one of the things people are not talking about is the diversity, equity, inclusion industry is hiring billions of dollars worth of personnel that are not productive all the, and they're anti-productive. They go after professors, they go after lawyers, they go after business people and to see if they're woke or not woke, but they're not producing anything. And it's a drain on capital and it's a drain on, drain on productivity. And a drain on civilization. I know you discussed yes. this with Sammy, but that's what is behind this Dylan Mul Mulvaney or whatever his name is, uh, Bud, Bud Anheuser-Busch and Nike supporting uh, uh, making – I don't, I don't know. Public. I don't understand that. I, I, you know, well, it, it's it has to do with the the grading that these corporations get from the uh, DEI, whatever the hell, you know, standards that are used, these social standards. And if they don't do something like, like putting this this weirdo's face on a beer can, they are going to get a demerit. And that's going to affect how their financial interactions are. It's just, is this is insanity. It's not the, but I mean, market. if you have a sports bra and it's designed for women, right? Right. Yeah. Why wouldn't you have a woman as the spokesperson rather than a person who has no breast? Why does he have a bra on? He doesn't have any breast. Why wouldn't you have a woman that had breasts so that it would be authentic and you would champion your devotion to making sure that women with breast can compete in the most effective possible way by honoring them with a particular product that's designed just for them. Unless yeah. you think that every man who transitions and says he's a woman has big breast 
or breast at all. Some do, I guess, with hormonal treatments or surgery, but this guy doesn't. He just looks like a man. And I, I don't understand it. It's such a attack on women. You know, another oh. thing, there's a really interesting article in the, uh, the Spectator, American, about this Baki, Baka Bazi. You know, that uh, when we were in Afghanistan, Jack, remember there was a big issue that this Islamic tradition of having, and especially the Afghan Islam, of having little boys uh, that were poor, wealthy people would buy them from poor families. Yeah. They would raise them from 6, 7, 8, 10, 12 till their voices change. They put makeup on, they let their hair grow, they, and they would dance in front of uh, men, a lot of the men in the military, and they called it Baka Bazi. And remember the U.S. got really angry about it? And the U.S. Uh, sergeants, captains, majors were complaining that they did not want their Afghan counterparts that they were training to have these people living on the base with them because they felt that it was pederastry or pedophilia, which it was. And they were told that you don't judge those. We don't judge. Now, maybe it was because of efficacy. They didn't want to get tensions, but it all went to naught anyway. It was all for nothing anyway, because we lost. But we didn't say a word. But what was interesting about this article makes a good point that they were dancing. That was the idea. And it was sexualized. And what he was saying, and it was transgenderism, right? Right. Because they were all dressed up and were groomed to be women or surrogates for women. I guess in a way that it, I don't know if the men were bisexual or they felt that these were surrogate women that they could sodomize or something. It was horrible what they were doing. But he pointed out that these drag shows where men dress up as women and say they're women and then they dance in front of people and it's kind of a reversal instead of the, the, the right. men watching the sexualized, because these dances, these Bozzy dances are very sexualized. Watching the boys, the children are watching the men, but it's the same transgender milieu. And it's really sick. And everybody says there's no sexuality to any of these drag shows. But every single time you look at a clip from them, they're thrusting or right. they're smiling or they're touching their private parts. There's also some weird weirdness here. Like, uh, you know, we've all seen clips of Milton Berle dressed in drag. Yeah. And 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 this is how a comical way of how a woman would act. And I I assume there are you know, people who had that they've had their parts changed, etc., who don't go around as these, you know, very high octane sissies, you know, just uh, aping, comically aping and, and essentially deriding women. Well, I think what you're talking about is there's a historically known percentage that is hormonally and biologically gender dysphoria, that a person's really in the wrong body, but they're 0.1 or 0.2 of 1%. But then you have to ask yourself, over the ages, we know that, and I've mentioned classical references, there's a lot of them. Hermaphrodite is, is the, or no, hermaphrodite is Hermes Aphrodite, and it re- represents in antiquity people that had ambiguous sexual organs or people who were 
thinking they were of the opposite sex. But that was different than transvestism, what they called transvestism. Vestus is Latin for clothing. This was the opposite clothing. There were other people, not necessarily homosexual, who enjoyed dressing up as often in private. But what I'm what I'm saying is that somehow we went from gender dysphoria as a medical issue and challenge, which everybody is sympathetic to and wants to provide tolerance, whether the person surgically or hormonally transitions or stays within his own biological sex but has problems adjusting because of this dysphoria to a recent poll that said 20% of teenagers think they want to transition. So what what went from 0.1.2 to 20%? And that was the hula hoop, Duncan Yo-Yo, as I called it, fad of popular mass culture that normalized something that previously had seen that was not normal. And we were told that and it wasn't just mainstreaming. It was turning it into something desirable. And in the process, we gave an exemption to it's warped our entire discussion. So we can't discuss the Nashville shootings in any rational way about the right. motive of the shooter. We can't discuss the would be shooter of Justice Kavanaugh. We can't discuss the would-be shooter in Colorado. We can't discuss the violence in New Zealand because to do so, we're called transphobes. It's become a civil rights issue that was created by the left. I don't know if it was because they felt that all of their prior constituencies, women, were had achieved parity, in many cases, superiority as far as the workplace. And maybe they thought I don't know. African-Americans had achieved rough parity, Hispanics, and there was no longer an aggrieved group. Homosexuals had been gays had got parity and they needed a new cause. But it well, came out a, of nowhere. It came out of nowhere. It's a tool. Uh, once again, I think a tool just for chaos and to destroy Western civilization. Hey, Victor, we let's continue on that. We we don't have much time left, yeah, but there's out. the there's the um, there is the attack on uh, Riley Gaines at uh, San Francisco State University. Maybe we talk about that a few minutes and close out the show, and we'll do that right after this uh, final important message. We're back with the Victor Davis Hanson Show. I'd just like to make a plug for myself, Jack Fowler, I write... Civil Thoughts, a free weekly email newsletter for the Center for Civil Society at American Philanthropic, now known as AmPhil. If you go to civilthoughts.com, sign up, what are you going to get? Every Friday, I uh, I write a, uh, well, a newsletter, and it has a dozen plus recommended readings. Victor Davis Hanson has a great piece on this. Here's the link. Here's an excerpt. Uh, I think you'll find it uh, enjoyable, informative. It's not there's nothing transactional. We're not selling your name uh, to any, we're not making any money on it. So I think you'll like civilthoughts.com. So Victor, talking about um, trans and parody and violence and uh, boy, oh boy, I wish there was some pushback in this regard, but Riley Gaines, who's a, a great woman, uh, college athlete, swimmer, uh, she is uh uh, involved now with the Independent Women's Forum. She was invited to speak at San Francisco State University, another event sponsored by uh, TPUSA, Turning Point USA. And as 
can be expected nowadays. Madness ensued. Crowds were there taunting, yelling, screaming. She got punched a few times by some guy. I watched her. He just kept trying to hit her. Yeah. And he did. He did. Yeah, he did. She had to be protected by police, uh, had to be kept in a room for a couple of hours for her own safety. And uh, this is what passes for, I don't know, college education in America. Let's close out. I'm a California taxpayer, as a lot of our listeners are, and we're paying for that. So here is the San Francisco State campus, and they can't protect a person who wants to speak on a topic I guess supposedly the majority disagree with, but she didn't, you know, she's not saying, you know, anything that's violent. She's just saying her main, from all of her speeches, it's, it's just simply the same thing that biological males are taking advantage of the transgendered movement to sabotage and destroy women's efforts the last three or four decades to achieve parity. And it's true. It's true. And all there would be a simple solution to this whole problem. We could just say, let's have a transgendered league. Because you say, the transgendered group, that this is a mass phenomenon with 10 to 20% of the population. If that's true, then you'd have 50 million constituents. And it would be the big thing. You could rival the Super Bowl, just have transgendered athletes. And then they would say, well, what do we do with women that want to become men? Well, we say you do the same thing as men that want to become women because gender is not biological. It's a social construct. And you'd say, yeah, but but men that want to become women have advantages over women that want to become men. You say, no, they don't. because but It's just the opposite. Men who want to become women have gone from a physically more muscular stronger to a weaker one historically. They've completely changed their sex. And women who were biologically smaller or smaller muscular skeletal system have suddenly become men with testers. So the, it's just the opposite. The women becoming men are the greater athletes, perhaps. But let's put them in there and let them all compete, regardless, and just say it's a transgendered category. Yes. They won't do that. No, they won't do that because they know there's not a market for that. There is a market for the celebrity virtue signaling uh, left that that apparently doesn't. I don't know. understand the left because they were big proponents of women's parity and they're doing more than any other movement right now to destroy it. It wasn't too long ago, Victor, at many colleges, uh, traditional sports programs for men were being kiboshed so that for parity so that more money went into you know women's lacrosse women's field hockey western where i was used to teach at cal state fresno one of the ways that you got rid of title title i mean you had to enforce title line was you get rid of the men's water polo and create a huge equestrian team more power to it that's what the idea was but not now no no not at all and uh and so you know, when we talked to begin, a couple of things and we'll finish, but, the, but when we talked at the beginning, uh, we were talking about this transgender a little bit. And what what I don't understand is here is this 
accomplished swimmer, Riley, and she's at San Francisco State. And what would have happened if the four or five policemen were not there, Jack? She would have had the crap beaten out of her. I think she would have been killed. And people would have said she had it coming to her. She would have had it coming the way they, some people on the left sort of with a wink and nod said that about the Christian school that was attacked. Right. So this is a a very strange thing that we have given any time in the human experience, you give an exemption to crime or violence, and then you get more of it. And the transgender community apparently feels that the nobility or the superiority of their cause allows them to use any means necessary to achieve it, which has to be exempt from the general population. And they feel that if there is a transgendered shooter, the general population will not tell us the manifesto or not tie cause and effect, or will not tell us for months afterwards that it would be assassin of Mr. Kavanaugh was a trans person, or that there's a mass would be uh, transgender murder. We're not we're not supposed to know any of that, and that filters down to the trans community that they have a license to be violent that's not accorded to other people because of their moral superiority. If that's true, then we're going to see a lot more of this. And then, of course, San Francisco State, we know analogous to the Stanford Law School violence. I think it was violent to scream and yell and. Had there not been federal marshals there for the judge, I think it would have got out of hand. But right, right. At San Francisco, why doesn't the president give a lecture and says, you violated a state policy? You broke the law, probably, with the person striking. That's a felony assault. And why doesn't either the local DA, we're told we have a better DA in San Francisco. Why doesn't she just look at that and say, that man dash trans person hit her and we're going to file assault charge. And why doesn't the president expel five or six if they were students? They don't do it. So it's going to continue. Or if it was another type of issue, the United States Justice Department would then get involved if there wasn't proper criminal criminal. It reminds me when I was I was born in 53 and my first knowledge of the news was in 60, 61, 62. And I would, it was on CBS News. I'd kind of crawl in and watch the Huntley Brinkley report. Remember that? Channel KM, it was KMJ. NBC. But, yes, NBC. And, and it was all about these violent acts in the South, you know, the mm-hmm. bombings. And there wasn't, I mean, it wasn't every day, but there were bombings of kids, the Birmingham bombing. And, and it was, or the George Wallace. And what was so strange about it was the authorities, the local authorities, weren't doing anything about it. They were doing nothing about it. And there were, you know, they had the Freedom Riders and all that. And there were three, I think, were murdered. But they, they wouldn't do anything about it. It wasn't. And then JFK wouldn't do anything about it. Eisenhower at least called it. And then finally he was forced to. But my point is, it's very similar where the authorities... And many of these jurisdictions are on the side of the criminals that are using violence and they don't they won't they won't intervene. And, and it's so weird because I wrote an article about the neo-Confederate liberal movement. Right. Whether it was the one drop fixation on race or whether it was the South Carolina 18, you know, 56 or 1832 types of nullifying federal laws. 
analogous to sanctuary cities or whether it was segregation, like theme houses that are segregated or safe spaces are graduate. It's very eerie that we're going back to these same principles that we Another, all Right. Another parallel, the left as, as the Confederacy is uh, the thing they tear statues down about, but that they, they ape their ways. Uh, it's remarkable. They hated they, the Constitution just like these left do. The, the yeah. Very famous statement. I think it was Alexander Stevens with the vice president, uh, vice governor. He was governor of Georgia, I think, at one point. Right. And he said the problem with the Constitution, we don't follow it because it was based on a fallacy that all men, it, it incorporated the values of the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution assumes that all people are created equal and they're not. That's what he said. And therefore, we reject it. But when you listen today, you see that there's still a, all these attacks on the Constitution. I think partly well, because, you know, I mean, they go off to the three-fifths clause, but we know the real story of that was a northern effort to stop the South from AE a- a- enslaving people and then counting them as uh, demographics to get more House representatives to perpetuate slavery. Right. Well, Victor, so, um, you and I are, I mean, the three-fifths may still apply in a way. When you have intersectionality, cer- certain people have greater value than other people in our in our society now. So... Anyway, on that note, uh, I don't know how wise it was or not, but on that note, Victor, we have to we conclude have to go with, the, with the things we do at the end of the show. Thank you, listeners, for listening, particularly if you're here for the first time. Thanks for joining us. Hope you come come back. Um, we uh, read our comments that people leave on iTunes and, and Apple, people uh, – Whatever platform you listen on, Stitcher, Google Play, thank you very much. You can also listen to the show and find it through Victor's website, victorhanson.com. Anyway, we do read the comments in here, too. Um, from Clarkabees, respect, totally respect your wisdom and humor. Keep up the good work. We are listening. Thank you, Clarkabees. And then Larry M54 writes, we were just talking about this, male athletes and women's sports, think about this. Why doesn't anyone talk about the fact that one day soon the top 10 athletes in every woman's sports will all be biological men? Larry Mancini from Montreal, Canada. You're right, Larry. I think within a few years, the the, the team that wins the women's uh, basketball championship are going to be five dudes. So, uh, Victor, thanks for all the wisdom you've shared. Thanks again, folks, for listening. And we will be back soon with another episode of the Victor Davis Hansen Show. Bye-bye. Thanks, everybody, for listening. 